0: Matthew 12, verses 22 through 37. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Thus ends our reading of God's holy and powerful and binding word. May all who hear it find forgiveness in Christ for all of their sins. You can't out-sin God's grace. This is what we learn as Christians, is it not? But is it true? What if I murder someone? What about sexual sin? What if I commit adultery? What if I commit suicide? How can there be be mercy if if I take my own life? The good news is that God has forgiveness for all those things through Christ. And yet, according to Jesus, there is one sin that will not be forgiven. The blasphemy against the Spirit. What is this unforgivable crime? What could be so heinous that that not even the cross of Christ can wash it clean? In order for us to answer that question, we must first do some work. We we must know the framework surrounding Jesus' words. For Christ didn't speak these things to have them written on a blank canvas. No, no. There, there is a backstory that supplies the context and meaning. And in, and in order for us to understand what he is getting at, we must know the circumstances that, that Jesus is speaking into. Who was he addressing? What were they doing? Why did it cause Jesus to speak words of seemingly irreversible condemnation? We have a lot to cover today, so let's, let's jump right in. If you recall, last week we, we saw the response that Christ had towards the Pharisees as they were plotting to take his life. Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath, which drew the ire of these religious leaders. But why did they hate him so much? Two things stand out. First, Jesus he, he tore down their theology of self-righteousness. All that they stood for, all that they based their lives around, he had demolished. And when one finds that their worldview comes crashing to the ground, they will either repent or they will grow angry. These Pharisees chose the latter. Second, the, the, these, these Pharisees were, were losing their power. You see, the, the authority that they had was given to them by the masses. They held the sway of the people. That's why they had power. But now the the, the crowds were following Jesus. Again, this, this caused these men to have great hatred for Christ. And so they schemed how they might kill him. And yet Jesus, instead of defending himself or challenging his opponents, withdrew. This is the approach that our patient king takes, even with the most wicked of men. He didn't come to battle against mankind, but to rescue those who would, who would turn to him with repentant faith. But even though Jesus withdrew, the crowds did not stop following him. And we saw that Christ, this, this Lord of the Sabbath, continued to heal on that day. Of course, the crowds, the, with the crowds surrounding him, he was not hard to find. And even though Jesus withdrew, these Pharisees kept pressing forward. They would bring the fight to him. You see, they were constantly looking for ways to discredit this man and condemn him to death. But what they, what they failed to recognize was that the path that they were taking was an irreversible one one in which would lead them to a condemnation far worse than death. For in their refusal to repent, they were committing an unforgivable sin. Now before we dive into our passage and see what that sin is, I want to speak a little bit about how how Matthew structures his gospel. It is at at this junction that he is highlighting the, the opposition that Jesus faced and how Christ handled his opponents. Most likely, the, the event that we're about to see didn't happen on the same day when Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. You see, Matthew is he's less concerned about, the, about chronology here than he is with weaving together the, the accounts of Jesus to follow this theme that the Spirit is leading him to communicate. And so he, he inserts this story as a warning of the, of the danger that people face when they follow the ways of the Pharisees. With that in mind, let's, let's jump into our passage. Look at verse 22 and 23. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? So what do we see happening here? The crowds brought to Jesus a man that wasn't well. In fact, this fellow had three major things going on with him. First, he was possessed by a demon. Second, he was blind. And third, he was mute. Talk about winning the anti-lottery in life. This man was cursed beyond any we have seen thus far. And yet for Jesus, this was was nothing that he couldn't handle. Christ was able to to cast out the demon and then to heal this man so, so that he could both talk and see. How did the crowds react? All the people were astonished. The Greek word that is used here for astonish is existanto. It means to displace or, or to stand aside from. And in the, and in the context that it, is, that it is used here, it is to be out of one's mind or be amazed. And now what is interesting is that this is the only time that Matthew uses this word in his gospel. It is as if he wants to place a special emphasis on this triple healing. As wondrous and as all those other miracles had been, it was this one that that really got the crowds worked up. And it was because of this excitement that they, they were saying to one another, could this be the son of David? This wasn't a question seeking information. Rather, these people were looking for confirmation on what they had already been thinking, that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, it was an expectation that when Messiah came, he would perform miraculous signs. And in their amazement, these these people were declaring this miracle worker as the one who was to come. They had witnessed his works, and now they were proclaiming that this Jesus was the Christ, the son of David. How about you? What is your view of Jesus? Are you amazed by the works of his hands, by his healing power? Do you recognize this man as the son of David, the Messiah who came to rescue you? Dear friends, I, I, I pray that you do. Of course, there were, there were some who, who saw these same signs and yet refused to believe. Look at our next verse, verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now you have to remember that these Pharisees knew the scriptures better than any other. They knew about the words from the book of Isaiah that we saw beforehand when when Jesus was answering John the Baptist and, and the question that he brought to him. They, they knew about the prophecies that, that, that spoke of the blind seeing and the, and the deaf hearing. Foreshadows of, of captives being set free. They, and they knew just as well, if not better than the crowds, that the signs that Jesus performed indicated exactly who he was. This one who, who gave sight to the blind and allowed the mute to speak and cast out demons. He had to be the Messiah. Do not miss this point. These men knew Jesus' identity, and yet they chose to ignore it. But they couldn't ignore the crowds, for these were the ones that they were trying to win back. And so they, they, they had to come up with this theory for, for this fellow's miraculous signs. But instead of crediting Jesus for the good things that he had done, They slandered him instead by saying that his power came from Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Now this was in direct contrast to what we read last Sunday. Take a look back at Matthew 12, verse 18. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. Here, Matthew shows us that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus performed these miracles. But the Pharisees, they were declaring that his ability to cast out demons came by another spirit. Now, we had seen these, this thing before. Uh, look back in Matthew 9. There, there, Jesus healed a demon possessed mute. And, and similar to our story for today, th- this had the crowds making a, a huge commotion. But this is what we read in verse 34. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. As you can see, this was not a new argument that they were passing along. They had been claiming this for quite some time. And, and, and Jesus knew that they had been saying this about him. For, for he says this in chapter 10, verse 25, It is enough for the student to be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Up until now, Jesus had chosen to ignore such comments. But apparently, he had had enough. Look back at our text, this time at verses 25 through 27. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. This is the first of two arguments that Jesus uses to refute the logical fallacies of these men. It is here that that Christ uses what is known as reductio ad absurdum which is just a a fancy way of saying that the premise of your opponent's argument will either lead to an absurdity or a contradiction. Basically, if, if what the Pharisees were saying was true, then Satan would be working against himself. If the devil's true goal is to be the ruler of this world, then why would he fight against his own demons, those who were trying to help him in this task? Taken to its logical end, Satan would be destroying his own kingdom. But more than this, Jesus also pointed out that, that that some of their own people were considered exorcists. It's tough to say how effective these men were at casting out demons. We, we have an example in the book of Acts that seems to indicate that, that, that they had little success. Uh, but, but whether they were effective or not, Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy of these Pharisees. I mean, members of their own sect were practicing exorcists. By what power were they attempting these things? And yet Jesus was able to cast these demons out with ease. So much so that he then says this. Look at verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God... Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Here, Jesus offers them the alternative that they were trying to deny that it was by the Holy Spirit that Jesus casts these demons out. And if this was the case, then it could only mean one thing that the kingdom of God had come upon them, and Jesus is their king. This argument is what is known as Occam's razor. or that that the simplest solution is most likely the right one. If it walks like a duck, and if it quacks like a duck, guess what? But to drive this point home, he then adds this illustration. Look at verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. How do you steal from a strong man? Say you want to take something from the rock. How would you do it? The only way is if you restrain him somehow. Otherwise, he's he's going to pound you into the floor. What Jesus is getting at here was that he was binding Satan. How else do you think he could cast these demons out? He had tied up their master. You see, since the fall of man, the devil had taken possession of this world. This is why in Matthew 4, when when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, the devil could offer to him the kingdoms of this world. Look, Look at Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down, and worship me. This was a real offer, my friends. Satan wasn't bluffing about his possessions. He was the ruler of this world. But Jesus had other plans. He would take back what was his, not by bowing the knee to this usurper, but by winning the souls of men one heart at a time. He would bind the strong man and then rob his house. For the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of the devil. And the spirit of God is greater than the spirits of this world. Dear friends, do you realize that Christ is stronger than the strong man? That you don't need to live in fear of Satan? That, that, that Jesus has conquered him for you? The kingdom of God has prevailed over the kingdom of Satan. That is great news. And that is a point that Jesus was making to these Pharisees. Demons were being driven out by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by Beelzebub. And to make such a claim is utter blasphemy. Just as Jesus used two arguments to refute these men, he would now use two words of condemnation to show them the condition of their hearts. Let's look at, these fir- at, at the first of these words. Look at verses 32, 30 through verse 32. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And anyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. These might be the scariest verses in all of Scripture. Jesus has drawn a line in the sand. You are either for me or against me. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. It is an all or nothing deal. This is the nature of the Christian faith. You either take all of Jesus, both who he is and what he demands of you, or you have no part of him. If you look at the core of what Christians believe, you will find Jesus at the heart of it all. You must accept him for who he is, that he is God in human flesh, and that the reason he became a man was to rescue his people from the penalty of their sins. Salvation can be found in no one else. It is by his sinless life, by his work upon the cross, and by his resurrection that you can be saved. There is no other means. And the demand that he puts on you is to turn away from the kingdom of Satan and, and all that the devil has to offer and to put your trust in the true king of this world, this one who has bound the strong man. And if you do this, only then will you be forgiven every sin and every blasphemy. This is a promise that he makes to you. But there is one sin, one blasphemy that cannot be forgiven. And that is the blasphemy against the Spirit. So what is this sin? What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? First, let's let's talk about this word, blasphemy. What does it mean? We read about it earlier when we went through the Ten Commandments. Look, Look at Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Blasphemy is to misuse the name of God. And there are a few different ways in which one can do this. First, could be to turn his name into a curse. Like OMG. This has become popular in our culture today. So many people utter it without thinking twice about it. I I hope you that, that, that you realize that when you say that, it is a sin. It is a slander against God himself because it is using his name in a careless and thoughtless manner. But, but, but this isn't what Jesus is getting at here. For there are other forms of blasphemy that are even more serious than that. And these blasphemies, uh, they're typically committed from the pulpit. It's when one uses the name of God to promote a false teaching. And this, this is a serious offense. This is why in the book of James, the the apostle says this, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my friends, because because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Every time I, I go to the pulpit, I am in danger of blaspheming God. That's why I am so careful and meticulous with my words. You see, when, when, when you teach a false doctrine, what you are essentially doing is slandering God's name. And it, it is in this sense that, that Jesus uses this word of blasphemy. For we see the Pharisees doing this exact thing. They were maligning the name of God. Look back again at verse 24 from our passage. But, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. In essence, they were were teaching the crowds that this work of God was the work of Satan. How wicked is that? These men ignored all the signs. They suppressed the truth that they knew and taught that Jesus was empowered by Satan. It's one thing to be ignorant concerning Christ. We see this happening all the time. People who who don't know God's word and therefore reject Jesus. But it is altogether different when one is a scholar, knowing that the only possibility for the signs that Jesus gave was through the power of God's spirit. And then to reject such a thing. This demonstrates a heart that has become calloused and hardened. You see, if, if you speak a word against the Son of Man, if you deny Christ out of ignorance, that can be forgiven. For you can learn and repent when you know the truth. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, if you know the truth, that it is by the Spirit of God that Jesus comes to you and you still reject Him, then what you have essentially done is that you have willfully turned your back on God and have spurned Him. And for that... There is no forgiveness. This is something that we have seen throughout Scripture. Think of Pharaoh in Egypt. God has shown him plague after plague after plague. And at first, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, I'm sure that this man thought that these plagues were just coincidences, that that he could just rationalize them away as as dumb luck on Moses' part. And, and during the first five, we read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But after that sixth plague, there, there is a change in the wording. We see that it was the Lord who hardened Pharaoh's heart. Here's the deal. What, what we see going on there was a willful rejection of the work of Yahweh. By this time, by, by that sixth plague, Pharaoh knew that Yahweh was real. So he could no longer plead ignorance. And yet he still would not concede and let God's people go. So God gave him over to his stubborn desire of maintaining power. And we see this exact thing going on with the Pharisees. They had a self-awareness of the truth, of the light shining in the darkness, and yet they willfully turned a blind eye to it. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had rejected him by concocting this myth, saying that he was possessed by Beelzebub. And by doing so, they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, there are many sins that you can commit and still find forgiveness through Christ. You can lie. You can cheat. You can steal. You can cave to your sinful pleasures. You can commit heinous acts such as rape and murder. All these things can be forgiven when you look to Jesus. But to draw so close to him, to understand who he is, and then then to still deny him, that, that, my friends, is unforgivable. Hebrews 6, verse 4 says this, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. In other words, if you have blasphemed the Spirit of God, then it is impossible to repent. This is a dire warning, my friends, and I pray that you will pay heed to it. To reject Christ after you know who he is is the greatest of all sins, for it is blatant rebellion It it is a hardened heart that that, that says to God, I know who you are, and I still reject you. This, this is what the Pharisees had done, and it is why Christ condemned them. But Jesus had one more word of warning to drive home that final nail. Turn back again to our passage in Matthew and look at our final verses. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers! How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This was so true for these Pharisees. From their mouths came blasphemous words. And the only reason they spoke them was because that was what was in their hearts. They had nothing but hatred stored up for Jesus, and their lips proved it. Just as a bad tree bears bad fruit, a wicked heart bears wicked words. And God will judge each one, even those spoken carelessly. Even, even, even for even the most casual of words, those words reveal the heart of a man. What are the words that come out of your mouth? What do they reveal about your heart? It is by your words that you will either be acquitted or condemned. Did, did you notice that in this story, there are, we, we see two different confessions. There, there, there were the Pharisees, who said that it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. But there were also those who said this, could this be the son of David? Two groups of people speaking two different words. Two sets of mouths revealing two different hearts. Those who claim Jesus as their Messiah, as this son of David, They will find acquittal. They will find forgiveness for all that they have done, for every sin, and for every blasphemy. But those who blaspheme the Spirit, those who have willfully rejected their Messiah, they will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. How about you? Do you understand that you will have to give an account at the end? That that, that when you stand before God and he looks back upon your life, that, that he will review each and every word that came from your mouth, revealing your heart. What will he find? What words will you have confessed? What title will you have ascribed to Jesus? Will you have said that he is the son of David? Or... Well, you have committed blasphemy by saying that it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Dear friends, do not take this teaching lightly. These are the words of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. If you know who he is, then do not reject him. Turn from your sins and every blasphemous word and trust in this one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God has come upon you. And if you reject this Messiah, there will be no forgiveness. But if you trust in him, then he will cleanse you from all of your careless words, all those words that flow from within. He will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. This is his promise to you. And that is good news, my friends. Let us pray. Father, we, we come to you today in, in, in fearful reverence of your holy name. We are a people who have blasphemous lips that reveal Wicked hearts. Yet in your mercy, you offer forgiveness for all of our iniquity. When your son was was bleeding on that cross, paying the penalty for our sins, he, he said to you, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Help us to turn from our ignorance and find that forgiveness. May your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us from within as we proclaim Jesus as the Son of David. We pray this in His mighty name. Amen.